You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, Many of you have probably heard of the organization called Young Life. Uh, Young Life uh, serves uh, ministries all over uh, high school campuses in the country as well as college campuses. In this past week, uh, Duke University's student government denied Young Life official status as a student group on its campus because of its policy on sexuality. Now, Young Life's policy simply states this, and I quote, we do not in any way wish to exclude persons who engage in sexual misconduct or who practice a homosexual lifestyle from being recipients of the ministry of God's grace and mercy as expressed in Jesus Christ. We do, however, believe that such persons are not to serve as staff or volunteers in the mission and work of Young Life. So essentially, the policy states that if a student is involved in sexual misconduct, which, which they would define as premarital sex with a girl and, and, and a male, or you know, same-sex attraction, either one, uh, that would violate their policy. And, and what they're saying is you can be a part of Young Life, but essentially you cannot be on staff. And because of that policy, uh, Duke's student government has denied them access. Now... You've heard stories of this nature before in our country as of late, and when you hear stories like this, what actually goes through your mind? What what do you begin to think? Do you get upset about this? Are you angry? Are you disappointed? Uh, what, What are the things that actually begin to go through your mind? Some of you might say, well, that's just not fair. Guarantee they don't, you know, you know, exclude Islamic groups, but they believe the same thing. They wouldn't allow that. Some of you might say, well, this country is just going to hell in a handbasket and this is just part of it. We just keep going further and further downhill. Maybe you might say, good. They shouldn't discriminate against same-sex couples. Maybe you're a North Carolina fan and you just hate Duke altogether. (laughs) It's amens on that one. We're living in an interesting time in America. We truly, I believe, live in the greatest nation that has ever existed with luxuries, amenities, opportunities that the rest of the world and our ancestors could never even imagine. And yet we are facing a time in our culture where it's gonna be more and more difficult to live out the traditional evangelical Christian values that we hold near and dear to our heart. Things like sexuality, things like the the, the pornography industry, things like abortion and racism and violence all across our nation continue uh, to get worse in so many ways. So the question I want to raise is, how will you stand firm? How will you stand uh, firm in your faith in an ungodly time? How do you live and respond to a culture that's essentially against our God? And so this is where it begins to get a little tense. Uh, We live in this culture and we're called to be the salt and the light of the world. Jesus calls us to add flavor to this world, to shed light into the dark areas of morality and culture. And and so how do we do that and uh, still have friends? In other words, how do we do this without making people mad? Is it even possible to do this? How are we gonna uh, stand firm in our faith and influence our friends who might believe completely differently from us? Is it even possible? 
Some of you might begin to wrestle with this question and, and uh, for you, you just simply have decided to withdraw from it. You just withdraw from culture. So for, for you, you're not gonna hang out with anybody who isn't a Christian. In other words, you're always gonna be with Christians. You're always gonna you know, just stay at home. You're not gonna dress up for Halloween because that's Satan's birthday. And uh, so you're just gonna withdraw from the conversation at work, ignore it, and pretend like it doesn't exist and, 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 and essentially uh, not care. Secondly, you might say, I, you know what, I'm just gonna go along with it. I don't wanna be the guy that's, you know, not included in the circle of friends. I don't wanna be looked at as the weird guy. I don't wanna be looked at as some you know, Jesus freak. And so I'm just gonna go along with it and I'm gonna agree with you know, their, their ideas and what the culture is saying about sexuality and abortion and all these other things. And I'm just gonna go with it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump in. Some of you actually are gonna take this road and you're just gonna look down on it. You're gonna put your nose up in the air and all of these heathens, all of these you know, idiots in this world, they need to get their act right. They need to get themselves together. These are the people that rant and rave on social media and make everybody mad because they act like they're perfect and look down on culture. Or we could get to number four here and we could actually desire to influence it. We could actually begin to think through and have conversations and begin to process ways in which you and I could live in this culture and stand for truth and still have relationships and still have influence over our friends, our family, and our neighbors. And I think this is where Jesus wants us to live. I think this is what Jesus would call us to do. He doesn't just want us to, you know, bear and grin during our life. He doesn't just want us to like endure all of these problems and just suffer through this world until he returns or until we die. He actually would call us to not just endure it, but to actually influence it. So how do we do this? Well, this is why I think Daniel is a great example for us because he engages culture without compromising his faith. And so today we're gonna start a four-part sermon series that we are calling Through the Fire. And I want us to begin to think about ways in which we can actually influence the culture around us just like Daniel did. Through suffering, through adversity, in a culture that looks down upon us, in a culture that might be even antagonistic towards us, how do we stand for truth while we also stand in love? So if you're taking notes today, we're gonna talk about three truths that we need to know about culture. And if you have your Bibles, let's go to Daniel chapter one. And so the easiest way to get there is to go to the middle of your Bible and then start to take a right. You're gonna go through Isaiah, you're gonna go through Ezekiel, and then you're going to get to Daniel. Little context here about the, the history and kind of where we're at in the life of uh, the, the nation of Israel uh, really quickly. So after the reign of King David and his son Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. Well, uh, the, the northern kingdom abandoned their faith in God and worshiped idols and, and God warned them time and time and time again. Uh, they did not heed those warnings. And so God sent the Assyrians to conquer them and to control that area. 
The southern kingdom watched what happened to the northern kingdom. They didn't learn their lesson. Uh, God continued to give them opportunities to repent and to turn back to him. They refused. God sent uh, men like uh, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Zephaniah to warn, but they continued to refuse. They chased after idols. God finally had enough. He lays down the hammer and he allows the Babylonians to come and to conquer them. They raided the city, raided the temple, carried off the best and the brightest young people, including Daniel and three of his good friends. And that's where we pick up this morning in chapter one. Let's read the first few verses. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be here on the screen. It says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the, uh, of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans just being another name for the people of Babylon. Few truths today that we need to begin to learn from this story. And if you're taking notes, the first one is in fact this. We learn this in verse two, that God is sovereign over culture. The word sovereign just means that God is in control. He is all powerful. Nothing happens that he doesn't wish or allow to happen. He is in control. He is sovereign over all things. And so this is important for us to wrestle with today. Sometimes this is hard for us to realize and process, but I wanna uh, invite you to prayerfully begin to think through this. In verse two, it says that God is the one that handed Judah into the hands of the Babylonians. In other words, it was God's will that King Nebuchadnezzar would come and defeat Israel uh, as a way to judge the nation. So God wanted this to happen. God had been patient. God had given them opportunity after opportunity. Uh, he had sent prophets and servants to warn the people about their sin and idolatry. But finally, God said enough is enough and he allowed that judgment to come upon the people. Not too long ago, Micah and I and my wife went out to uh, dinner, just a little date night, and uh, we wanted to get away from the kids, we wanted to just relax and have a peaceful dinner together. Uh, as we were doing this, we were hanging out, picked a good restaurant, I thought, and, and uh, in walked a young couple with a bratty little three-year-old with them. Uh, they sat right next to us, and, and I'm telling you, this child was just out of control. Uh, he was, you know, screaming and yelling. He was, you know, smacking his mom. I was getting irritated. He was throwing his toys around, and, you know, it was starting to ruin the night. All of a sudden, this kid, he takes his toy, and he throws it again, and it hits Micah in the head. And I had had enough. So I get up, I grab the kid by the arm, I take off my belt and I whip that kid <laughs> right in front of his dad. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> you do that today, you'll go to jail. <laughs> Back in the day, you probably get away with that, but not today, not in this culture, right? What's, what's, what's God doing here? 
uh, in the life of Israel? What's God doing with the people of God? It's very, very simple here. Essentially, what God is doing is, is you don't discipline other people's kids. A father disciplines his own children. And so what God is doing here is he is disciplining his children, the people of God. We assume God's judgment should just fall on all the ungodly people, all those who do evil uh, around the world, but that's not always how God operates. In many cases, God deals with his own children first. It's a way to discipline them, discipline us, so that we can become closer to him and be more blessed and live a life that honors him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse six says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So as children of God, as he loves us, just like every parent in the room, if you love your child, you will discipline them because you know if you do not, they will, they will you know, be raised and they will live a life that is out of control. They will hurt themselves, they will hurt others. And so we guide them through discipline. And so this is essentially what God is doing. It's his discipline. We've gotta understand why the Babylonians came and we've gotta understand that it was God who sent them. Some of you here today might be experiencing the Lord's discipline in your life. You may not understand why the Babylonians have come into your life to conquer you. You may not understand why life seems to be out of control. You may not understand why people are hurting you, why life seems unfair, why things aren't happening the way that you believe they should happen. Perhaps it is, the, it is, it is God's grace in your life that is serving to discipline you, to get you on track with where he wants you to be. But we have to realize no matter what circumstance we face is yes, God is sovereign because God is in control of those in control. God is in control of those in control. King Nebuchadnezzar looked like he was in control. Sometimes it looks like politicians, sometimes it looks like other people in our life are in control, and yet we have to realize that God is in control of those who think they're in control. He is all powerful. He is in control of every situation that you might face today. So then the question then becomes, how big is your God? In your mind, like how big is God? Too often, he's just a small being in our minds because we fear that God might not be in control. We fear that God's not as big as the Babylonian problem that I have. We fear that God's not in control. We, we freak out all the time. Even Christians, who you might even amen that God's in control today, you still freak out all the time as if he's not in control. A president gets elected, oh my gosh, the country's over. We've had a lot of terrible presidents in our past. We're still here. Duke University has banned at Young Life. It's not good. We should expect this though. The question is, what do we do about it? How can we prevent it from happening in other schools? If we do freak out and complain and we rant and rave on social media, if it's just gonna keep happening, and we're gonna continue to lose influence in our culture. We've gotta do things differently. And this is why I love Daniel. I love how he responds. I love what he experiences and the model that he gives to us. Because Daniel, you see, is not a book about doing the right thing and God's gonna deliver you from the lion's den and God's gonna deliver you from the fiery furnace. It's not what it's about. 
The reality is bad things are going to happen to good people. It's just gonna happen. It's gonna happen in your life. It's happening and has happened in my life. Sometimes you're gonna have to go through the fire and it is God who is leading you through that fire. But remember, he will never, ever abandon you through that process. He's always with us. Oftentimes, God is gonna choose to be with you in the trial instead of delivering you from the trial. And like Daniel, we have to stand firm. Like Daniel, we want to embrace God's plan for our life and recognize and realize that he is still in control. He is on his throne and he is doing something that I just can't comprehend right now, but I am trusting in him that he will see me through it and he will bless me for it. God doesn't deliver Daniel in chapter one. He's taken as a slave. He's taken away from his home and his family into a land that is hostile towards his people. It'd be like you being taken as a slave in North Korea today and have to live and serve Kim Jong-un. This is essentially what Daniel is facing. He's forced to learn the ways of an evil culture. He doesn't give up, he doesn't give in, and he trusts that God is in control despite his circumstances. He knew that God was not finished with him. In verse two, it says that they brought them for a purpose. And so they brought about 10,000 Israelites, history tells us. And so when they come there, he, the king is looking specifically for a group of people to train for three years that would serve him as an advisor. But the qualifications, if you look at it again in verse two, it says that first of all, they had to be a part of the royal family. So Daniel and his friends were essentially a part of families who had a high social standing in the nation that they lived in. They had to be young. And so we know that Daniel was probably 14 or 15 years old. Any 14 year olds, raise your hand really high. 14, 15, anybody at all, all right? Take a look. This is what Daniel would be looking like today, okay? Keep that in mind when we see his courage, right? Keep that in mind all throughout this series. Um, They took the young, they wanted the young to train them for three years, why? Because they wanted teachable people. They wanted to be able to influence them at a time where they weren't set in their ways. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's exactly what our culture has done to indoctrinate teenagers through media to begin to teach principles and concepts that later they would grow up and accept and think that are okay. That's why some of your kids actually think that same-sex attraction is okay. They actually think that God creates people that way. You should have a conversation with your kids and ask them what they in fact believe about that. They've been trained ever since they've been little watching Disney Channel and listening to all these things and, and it just has happened, right? They've been indoctrinated. And so we have to understand this is what culture wants to do. Uh, The the young men could not have any defects, so no physical uh, defects. They had to be intelligent, able to learn, well-informed. It says that they needed to be competent to stand in the king's presence. And so there was something about them, teenagers, uh, something about these young men who they had the social awareness, they had the manners, and they had just a presence about them that the older generation looked at them and looked at Daniel and his friends and said, there's something different about these guys. And so because of that, they gave them an elevated training program in this new city. In verse four, it says that they were uh, experiencing a privileged education. And so they were being trained and educated. They would have been educated by the best school in the history uh, or in the 
in, in that time, the best school in the world. Babylonia was known as this center of learning at this time. And so they would have studied uh, various things, mathematics, law. They would have studied languages. Yes, they would have been taught uh, the, the practices of that religion that were there. So they would have learned about all of that. Verse five, it says that they were given a privileged diet. So they were so special that they were given food that was fit only for the king. So this would have been an exquisite diet that no one else in the city would have been able to experience except for these chosen few. Let's pick up in verse six. Let's read verse six and seven. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Essentially, their names were changed. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. So essentially what's happening here is they are changing their names, they're changing their diets, they are teaching them their culture's ways, they're trying to teach them their religion, they're trying to teach them uh, how to act and what to do and what this culture is all about. Essentially, what culture wants to do to them and what culture wants to do to us is it wants you to doubt your identity. Culture wants you to doubt who you are. It happens in very subtle ways, but when you think about it, this name change is more than just the name change. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. His new name, Belshazzar, means Bel's prince. And essentially, Bel was the title of their demonic god. And so essentially, his new name was Bel, protect his life. Hananiah's Hebrew name meant Yahweh is gracious. They changed it to Shadrach, which means command of Aku. Aku was the pagan god of the moon for the Babylonians. Mishael means there is no god like the god of Israel. To Meshach, which means who is like Aku. Again, like the pagan moon god. Azariah, his Hebrew name meant Yahweh has helped. Yahweh being the Hebrew uh, personal name for God. To Abednego, which means servant of Nabu, which is the second highest God in Babylon. So what is happening here? A name change. Their names are changed from a reference to the one true God to a Babylonian name that references a pagan God. Think about it. Our culture is trying to do this as well. It seems like a subtle thing, but changing their name is an attempt to change their identity, to cast confusion into their life about who they are and who they are going to serve. A lot of scholars believe that Daniel's new name, Belteshar, is actually a feminine gender name so that he was not only given a name that was different in, in, in protecting the pagan king, but it was a feminine noun now so that essentially it could have meant, woman, protect your king. Sounds like exactly what our culture would want us to do. Redefine gender. Redefine what marriage is. Cast doubt in your mind, young people. <clears throat> Are you really a boy? Are you really a girl? You should get to decide what you are. That's what culture says robbing them of a basic understanding of sexuality and who God intended them to be. Young people, God created you beautifully. 
Your creator, no matter how you look and no matter how you feel about yourself today, God created you just like he wanted you to look. There is purpose in how God created you. Whatever sexual parts your God gave you, he gave to you for a purpose. He doesn't want you to be confused about who you are. In fact, if you are confused or doubting today, it is because Satan is casting, culture is casting doubt into your mind. God is not a God of confusion. So if there's confusion in your life, he's not created that. That's been created by outside forces. Seek him and you will find clarity. You gotta reject the lies from the enemy and embrace who God created you to be. It's Satan saying that you don't fit in. It's Satan that would, that would whisper lies that you're not normal, that, 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 that you don't fit in with the crowd. Listen, your creator Jesus accepts you just like you are, and yet he doesn't want you to stay that way because he knows there's so much more for you. He doesn't want you to stay in sin so he calls us out to repent, turn away from that, and embrace the love and the life that he has called us to experience. That's how much he loves you. He loves you just the way you are. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want us to stay where, we're are, where we are. So he's calling us to deeper waters. He's calling us to deeper faith. So you'll never stand firm in our culture if you don't know who you are. In Christ, And that's true for teenagers, adults, all across the room today. In Christ, you are chosen. You are adopted into the family of God. So the truth is you are accepted. The truth is you are loved. The truth is you are wanted in God's church. Despite how you feel or how unloving somebody maybe has been to you, God wants you in his family. In Christ, you have purpose. You've been forgiven as you can embrace that, culture is what divides. The culture around us is causing you confusion. Step into light where God would bring you hope and peace and power. Amen, church? Amen. Thank you. I thought you guys were awake, but I just was testing. Let's look at verses eight and nine because here's what happens next. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. What's happening here? <clears throat> See, the culture is attempting to change their identity through their diet. And so, yeah, we're changing your names. We're teaching you how to worship our God. We're teaching you how to live like we live. And part of living like us is eating like we eat. Well, now, this is a problem for Daniel and his buddies because eating the food that the king was eating was in direct um, um, opposite of what God was calling them according to the Mosaic law to eat. And so they were, they were eating things like pork and other things like that that were totally uh, off the menu if you wanted to serve God and honor God through your diet, not to mention all of these um, various animals and things that, that would be sacrificed to the pagan gods. And so they weren't gonna eat uh, any kind of food or, or any, drink wine that was offered and sacrificed and given to a pagan god. So what are they gonna do? They're being forced to do this in a culture, this is what's normal, this is what's acceptable, and yet I know what the word of God says, 
I know that's wrong. So how am I gonna interact? What's my play? What, what, what am I going to do? We can compromise and eat the food. Remember, there's 10,000 other Israelites there. We don't see anybody else standing for the truth, so everybody else was doing it. We don't, we don't see anybody else standing up to the king. Or do we starve to death? <laughs> this is the tension, right? The tension we live in, how are we gonna do this? Are we gonna accept sin just like everybody else? What are we gonna do? It says here, circle it in your Bible in verse eight, that Daniel was resolved. That means his mind was already made up. He was resolved, he knew that he would not and could not defile himself by doing something that God's word strictly said not to do. And so he asked if he could eat vegetables only. Now that's a miracle in and of itself for a teenager to say I want vegetables only. But when asking for this exception, this was a huge risk. It was a huge risk for this young man to actually um, um, uh, offer to the king. Like the king could have taken insult to this and thrown him in jail. The king could have said, you know what? This guy, he's out of place, let's get rid of him. He could have uh, kept him from advancing in the training program. You know, maybe Daniel doesn't get the promotion because he's the guy that doesn't, he doesn't get in line. So let's get rid of him, right? Let's not give him the advancement. His parents weren't around, no religious leaders around. What's it gonna hurt? Mom and dad are somewhere, we don't know where they are. It's just us, we might as well go for it. Let's have a little fun. Nobody's gonna, you know, know. It's gonna be okay, right? Wrong. If it's against God's word, there's always harm, whether mom and dad are around or not. And so the reason why Daniel and his friends were able to stand up and able to even consider asking something like this is, is not because they had a momentary vision. It's not because they had some kind of bravery that, that God like infused into their soul. The reason why I believe they were able to stand up in this moment is because they had already made the decision beforehand that they were going to honor and serve God's word. They already decided. I see what God's word says. I've already decided what I believe based on what God's word says. So when I'm faced with that decision, I already know what I'm gonna do because I already know what God's word says. And this is where Daniel is at and this is where you and I, I hope, will live and breathe. They already made this commitment. I hope we'll follow in his example. I hope we'll have the courage to commit to God's word. I hope we'll be able to make these decisions in the same way and get creative in how we respond to culture. It's not always a starve to death or eat it. There's some options here to where we can actually influence culture and stand for truth. But I'll be honest, Christians aren't very creative when it comes to engaging culture. We're either stand on our soapbox and criticize and be hateful, or we just accept it. Where where is the creativity in your workplace? Where is the creativity at school, young people, when you are called or told to do something that you know is against God's word? And so I'm not gonna be able to give you answers to every scenario through this series, but I pray that the Spirit of God 
would give us the energy and courage and insight through small groups, through family conversations, that we would not be like all the other Christians who are just hateful, hurting, or accepting everything and disengaging, that we would actually have influence. I love how Jesus constantly models this to us. Uh, one day Jesus uh, is, is teaching and, and the religious leaders bring a woman who was caught in adultery and they throw him down at his feet and they say, Jesus, she was caught in adultery. The law says to stone her. What are you going to do? And do you remember what his response is? The person with no sin cast the first stone. <sighs> I, wish, I wish I was that smart sometimes, right? That was beautiful. That was beautiful, right? Because Jesus in that moment was, was able to do a couple of things here. He was, he was able to uh, speak truth into her life. He, he doesn't let her off the hook uh, in her sin. And at the same time, he, he is able to demonstrate both love and righteousness. He's able to do both. And I think we can get there as well. Pastor Chris Hodges makes a great point in his book, The Daniel Dilemma. He says, do you wanna be right or do you wanna be righteous? And so the goal here, what he means is if our goal is to have influence, then we wanna respond in righteousness and not just prove our point. You think you're proving your point on social media, you think you're proving your point to a family member by arguing and getting upset and being loud but in that, you have lost righteousness. You have offended by the way that you've spoken, how you have approached it. And, and in that, we, we also recognize that yes, the gospel is offensive and so the truth of God might offend and it will, not might, it will offend at times. And yet, is there a way that we can do better with both grace and truth? Some of you probably have heard Jesus and read this before, but scripture says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, and so we have to do the same thing. And so we all kind of tend to lean on one side or the other. Some of you lean on the grace side, and so you're more forgiving, and you're more accepting, and whatever you wanna do, just do, and you're afraid to confront, and you don't wanna rock the boat on anything, so you just don't. And then there's the other side, there's the truthers, and you know they love the truth. You know? And so the truthers are gonna be more tend to be more argumentative, tend to be more cold. And Jesus is saying you need both in order to have influence. You gotta be able to recognize this in both ways. Truth people tend to be a little harsh. Grace people just tend to avoid the whole conversation. And Jesus is calling us to do both. And so here's this young man. He's got a bright future. He's a member of, a, of the royal uh, line and royal family uh, back in Israel. He's good looking, he's smart, he's the cream of the crop. And then one day, Babylon comes and conquers Israel, takes him to a foreign land, forced to change his identity, learn a new language, become a slave, educated to worship demons, and a lot of scholars believe that he was even castrated. They didn't want all the young, handsome guys hanging around the king's harem and any kind of, you know, what going on, so let's solve that. Think about what's happened in this young man. His dream had suddenly turned into a nightmare. All his hopes and aspirations, gone. For many of us, America doesn't sound so bad anymore. 
For some of you, what you're facing isn't anywhere close to what Daniel is facing. And so we realize and we recognize that God is in control of culture. We realize and recognize that culture wants us to doubt and change our identity. And thirdly, we realize that culture is here because God uses it to test your faith. God uses culture to test your faith. This is what it's happening in Daniel's life. Oh, God is testing him and testing his faith. In the school of life, trials, difficulties, hardships, these are all classes that none of us wanna take. We never wanna sign up for that class. And at the same time, there's no strength without suffering. There's no depth without suffering. They are the foundation right, of the Christian faith as far as wisdom and humility. This is what you and I need in order to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ, and yet we want to avoid it. And the reality is God is going to use it to grow us. Daniel could have given up. He could have said, you know what? These people are, you know, pagans. They're gonna go to hell. I'm just gonna like disengage and y'all do your thing, but I am, I am done with this, but he does not. He could have lost his influence, but he does not. So you might say, why? Why does God have to do this? Why does God have to test us and test our faith using the culture around us? Why does God do this? Uh, quick example, if I take a wad of Monopoly money to the grocery store today and I try to buy some uh, food or whatever and uh, I give them a couple of those 500 you know, orange bills, um, they're not gonna call the police and uh, send me to jail for that. They're gonna laugh at me, right? Because that's obvious. But if I take a couple of hundred dollar bills that are counterfeit and I take those bills and I try to pay you know, my bill with that money, they're gonna take that little pen, that little iodine pen, they're gonna mark that pen, they're gonna test that dollar bill. And if it's brown, they're gonna know that it's fake. And if it comes across blue, they're gonna know that it's authentic. See, we don't know if the, if, if the money, if the bill is actually real or fake until it's tested, the pen tested. He holds it up to the light. Once it's tested, we know if it's real or if it's fake. You see, without putting your faith to the test, you don't know if it's real or if it's fake. And don't you wanna know? Don't you wanna know if your faith is authentic or if you're hanging on to a false hope or a false sense of security? Wouldn't you wanna know? See, God already knows. He doesn't test us because he's trying to find out if Daniel is gonna be faithful. God already knows. He's sovereign. God already knows if I'm gonna be faithful, if you're gonna be faithful. But he does it so that we would understand this. If we're depending on something that's fake, you and I need to understand it. And if you're facing a trial today, I would suggest that you process this idea that perhaps in God's sovereignty, God has brought this test into your life to see, in fact, which way you're gonna go. What are you gonna do? Daniel's life, when you look at it, when you dive into this, it's like, man, his life is ruined, isn't it? It's ruined. He's a slave. He's forced to do all this stuff. I mean, it's over for him. And as we continue to read, we'll see that God is in control. God is getting ready to do something that's gonna blow his mind. God's gonna use him in ways he never would have dreamed. God is gonna take him through the fire. And God has a purpose for your fire as well. 
He's got a purpose and a reason and, and, and a test that he's gonna give to you so that when you face that decision, you're either gonna submit to the gospel, you'll submit to the king of your life, Jesus Christ, or you will run from him, you will blame him, you will ignore him, but either way, you'll know. You'll know. And God will know, and it'll be revealed, and your family will know, and your wife will know, and your kids will know. And at least in that moment, you'll know that, you know what? At least I was faking it all that time. At least I know. The question really kind of falls down to this. How big is your God? How big is your God? Is God so small in your life that when the Babylonians come and you lose your job or your marriage ends or somebody gets hurt or somebody passes away that you're ready just to walk away from God? When things get tough, when things get difficult, what's God done for me? God's not doing nothing for me. That's a small God. <laughs> That's a small faith, if it's a faith at all. See, I don't want anybody in here to bank on a faith that's not real. So we don't know this. <clears throat> we don't know this, like how God answers this prayer. But if we're asking for God to grow our faith, a lot of times, you know, we're inviting hardships to come into our life because that's what God does. And so if you're going through a difficulty today, praise God that he's growing you. Praise God right now before he answers your prayer. Praise God right now before you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Praise God right now that he's gonna give you victory because he is in control, amen? He's in control of everything that you're going through today. And so we know it's not gonna be easy and yet we have a hope. It's called the gospel. Jesus Christ endured this culture. He suffered a death and took your place on the cross giving you an opportunity to have forgiveness of your sins and life eternal in heaven with him. And some of you have not given your life to Christ. Some of you might've looked at me last week because you prayed a prayer, but you didn't move. Listen, if you can't stand up in here and tell somebody that you accepted Jesus, I'm telling you, you're not gonna do it out in this culture. You're not standing up for Jesus out there if you can't do it here. So my challenge for those of you who might be here that maybe made a decision in the last however many weeks, you didn't tell anybody, Go tell somebody today. Go to the Karen prayer room. Tell them what you did. Sign up to get baptized and start to get this thing moving in the right direction. I'm excited about this series. Hope you'll come back next week. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story we have with Daniel. And Lord, we confess to you that we get overwhelmed and we confess to you that we don't have all the answers. We don't know how to respond. Maybe we've, we responded poorly. But Lord, we're coming back to you to, 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 to seek that forgiveness and to, and to ask you to mature our faith, whether emotionally, spiritually. Lord, help us to mature so that we can influence a sister, a brother, a mom, a dad, a teenager, a boss at work, a coworker, a neighbor down the street. They might all be far from you, God, and they might be hearing a message from people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but it's all hate. And so they begin to turn their nose up at the church. God, let us be the ones that can, can be full of grace and full of truth as well. Help us to be like Christ, that, that we, can, 
we don't let people get away with their sin, but at the same time, we're able to speak truth and love into them. And Lord, the only, that only happens through your spirit working through us. I can't do that on my own. I need you, God. Our church needs you. Lord, there's some people here who are banking on a fake faith. They've gone through a test and it's exposed them. Maybe today, God, you have called them back home. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would save them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship this great God. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.